Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. So we're carrying on this series on the Father Heart of God and we're looking at part three today. It's a four part series and we're at part three and what we're looking at today is based on the assumption that you've already been here for part one and part two or hopefully caught it on the internet. If you haven't, I'd encourage you to do that because part part one and two do necessarily go before part three. One of the things we've been considering the last few weeks is that Father God, we often don't picture him the right way because when we hear the word Father, we've got a certain understanding of what a Father is in our heads and it don't come close to what our heavenly Father is like. Even if you had a great dad, your dad, in all his kindness and goodness, is not even close to how kind and good God the Father is. And if you didn't have any dad, you grow up missing out, having had a loving father in your life. Father God does more than enough to compensate for that. But there's a problem in our minds because we often don't get how wonderful Father God is. So what I've been trying to do the last few weeks is encourage us all to have more renewing of the mind. Where instead of just being satisfied with our image of God that a lot of time is based on our own experience of what a father is. Instead, I want us to be going to scripture and getting renewing of the mind and finding out what a wonderful dad our heavenly father is. And if you remember, just to recap the last two weeks, we saw that before the world was created, there's just God, right? And you've got God is one being. He's three persons. You've got God the father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's what we call the Trinity. And within the Trinity, there's this perfect love going on. There's this intra-Trinitarian love going on within the Trinity. Perfect love for each other. And we saw how the Father, God the Father, is not a self-centered Father. From before the world was even created, he was a Father who was giving glory to his Son. It's like he's saying, that's my boy. And he's loving his son. That's the kind of dad he is. He is not a selfish dad. And we also saw how what happens in John 17, Jesus prays that just as the father was in him and he is in the father, in this intra-Trinitarian relationship where they've got the same purpose and will, he then prays that us, future believers, would also be in them. So the idea is that we're actually brought into this intra-Trinitarian relationship in some way. And that's an amazing thing, that this loving, other-centered father would bring us into this wonderful relationship. And the way we're brought into that relationship is through Jesus Christ. And then we saw that God the Father is a father who seeks us out. He's a father who forgives us and accepts us. He's a father who sees us as very special. He's a father who adopts us. He's a father who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And he's a father to the fatherless. 
he defends the cause of the fatherless. Father God will never abandon you. Father God will never fail you. Father God cannot lie to you. He's compassionate. Father God heals us of our hurts. And Father God listens to us. Those are the things we looked at in the last few weeks. And today we're going to look more at the Father heart of God. And one of the problems we're going to be addressing is that I think a lot of us, from time to time, or maybe all the time, view God as a strict headmaster. We view him as a strict headmaster who's given us rules and is unhappy with us when we break the rules. We're going to look at that today. I think as well that some of us in this room are battling with sin and we keep getting overcome by sin and we keep thinking, oh, I've got to overcome this sin and God's so mad at me that I can't overcome this sin. And today I want to give you a new motivation for overcoming sin in your life. I think some of you this morning on your way to church were thinking, oh, I really haven't read my Bible this week. I should have got a bit of reading in before church. And I want to give you a new motivation for reading your Bible. It's all about the Father heart of God. And I know that some of you over the last month have been thinking, yeah, but how can I enjoy this father-child relationship that Duncan's been talking about the last few weeks? So we're going to look at that, how you can enjoy this wonderful relationship with your heavenly father. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I relate to God the Father just fine. Come on, hurry up so we can go on to the next thing. And so I want to encourage you today to maintain that relationship we've got with your Heavenly Father and to model it to other people in the church and help other people who are struggling with relating to God as a Father. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us today as we look at your word I pray that by your spirit you would open our eyes and that you would soften our hearts. Thank you so much for being such a loving father. Thank you for sending your son for us. I pray that you'd help us to know you better today. Amen. Okay, so the first point I want to make today is that Father God has good things prepared for us. Father God has good things prepared prepared for us we see this in the way he handled the Israelites in the Old Testament remember he brought them out of slavery he brought them into the promised land but then they rebelled against God they turned their back on God like a rebellious child so God sent his people into exile he sent them to Babylon right and then he gave them this message through the prophet Jeremiah He told them they were going to be in exile for 70 years. And then he reassures them in Jeremiah 29, verses 10 to 11. Jeremiah 29, verses 10 to 11. And he says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So God, even though he brought them them into this difficult situation, 
as their father, because he often refers to Israel in a way that he is their father and Israel is his son, he then reassures them and he tells them he's going to bring them out of this difficult situation and the reason is that he has plans to prosper them and not to harm them. He has plans to prosper them and not to harm them. And notice as well, he gives his name there. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Now, Lord there is in capital letters, right? So that means it's Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal name. My personal name is Duncan, right? Now, you might not know your headmaster's personal name when you was back in school or if you're still in school or your headmistress's name. And when they deal with you, they don't deal with you on a level using their first name a lot of the time. And some of you are thinking, God's like this, and you hear the Lord. And maybe some of you are thinking, that's kind of impersonal. But when you see the Lord in capital letters, that's God's personal name, Yahweh. That's him letting you know he relates with you in an intimate way. He's not some strict headmaster. And he's bringing his people out of this difficult situation in 70 years' time because he's got good plans for them. He doesn't have plans that are going to harm them. So my point is, Father God has good things prepared for us. Now, obviously, this is talking about his people way back, hundreds of years ago. But we're his people today as well. God doesn't change. So if he was this way with his people then... Is this way with us today. So some of you might be kind of hardcore, like when you hear people quote Jeremiah 29, you go, huh, that was for the people back then. Don't claim that promise. You better claim that 70 years in captivity promise first. But, you know, that's, that's wrong thinking. That's wrong thinking because this is how Yahweh deals with his people. Yeah, And we don't want to commit the sin the heresy of saying that the God of the Old Testament was different to the God of the New Testament. There was a guy who done that years ago called Marcion. He's a bad guy. Okay, there aren't two different gods. It's the same God. And if he was this way with his people then, he's this way with his people today. So Father God has good things prepared for us. And look what else it says in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 13. Jeremiah 31, 13. It says... Then maidens will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness, and I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. This is what God's got planned for his people. Then Jeremiah thirty-two forty it says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. It's the same God dealing with the Israelites back then in Jeremiah's time, talking about the covenant that we enjoy today, the one that Jesus Christ ratified. So, Father God has good things prepared for his children. He has good things prepared for his children. Even if you're in a difficult place right now, even if you've been in a difficult situation in the past, God is the kind of father who has plans to prosper his people and not to harm his people. Now, you might not have experienced this with an earthly father. You might even have been hurt by your earthly father. But you've got to know that Father God is not like that. 
You might have never sensed your earthly father planning good things for you. And you need to know today that Father God does plan good things for you. He's a planner. It's like my mum's birthday the other day. My stepdad planned out a whole bunch of things for her on that day. Now, he didn't tell her what they were, but he planned it all out for her. The same way, Father God is a planner. He's been planning out all kinds of good things for us. He's that kind of dad from before the creation of the world. For those of you who've put your trust in Jesus, you need to know that before the creation of the world, Father God planned to save you. According to Ephesians 1, it's actually according to his pleasure. So he's actually happy when he chooses you, plans to adopt you. He planned that you would become more and more like Jesus. He planned that you would live with him for all eternity in heaven. And he planned that you would be joyful. He's a planner. Now this might be something that some of us need to especially meditate on. It might be we need to memorize this verse, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You might need to memorize it, and when you wake up in the morning, you might need to say it to yourself. And you might need to pray in response to it and say, thank you, God, you plan good things for me. Then you're hearing from your heavenly Father instead of hearing from the world and hearing from Satan that definitely don't want you to think that God has planned good things for you. So that's my first point. Father God has planned good things for us. Now, linked to this is the idea that Father God wants the best for us. Father God wants the best for us. Check it out. Proverbs 24, verse 13. Proverbs 24, verse 13 says, Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Right there at the beginning, God's saying, eat honey, my son, or eat honey, my daughter. He wants you, his child, to have honey. But of course, he doesn't literally mean honey. He's talking about wisdom, but he likens wisdom to honey. Because it's so good. And he wants you to have this honey because he wants you to have the best. He wants you to have honey. And this is important to know because it's so different to the idea of God being a strict headmaster. A lot of you are viewing God as a strict headmaster. But when you go in the headmaster's office, he doesn't ever open a jar and say, here you go, taste some of this honey. No, no. But that's what Father God's like. Father God's there with a jar of honey saying, eat this, my child. This is honey. It's good for you. I want the best for you. So Father God isn't just enforcing rules for the sake of it in our lives. He's actually giving us honey and he's saying, this is the good stuff. Take this. Now, application from this is that when we're reading the Bible each day, We're not just reading it because we're like, oh, I'm worried I'm going to backslide if I don't read it. Now, that could be true. 
But there's another motivation, which is, my dad has got honey for me. And I want to read his word today because it's honey. I want to read his word because it's honey. Who's seen the film Boys in the Hood? You're a, you're a holy bunch here. I only see like two hands going up. <laughs> okay. Right. Good. Well, not necessarily good, but Boys in the Hood, right? I remember I watched that back in the day. And because a film really is all about fatherhood. Like the one boy who manages to stay out of trouble at the end is the one kid who has a dad. And there's one bit where his dad is sitting with his son and he's just talking him through, giving him some wisdom. And he's giving his son three rules. Yeah? And one of the rules is like, don't respect no one who don't respect you and all that. You know, it's not good advice. It's not good advice. But I remember watching it and my mate afterwards saying, oh, I wish I'd had a dad who could have sat down with me and given me some wisdom like that. And I was like, yeah. And the sad thing is, you know what we done then? We started listening to Lawrence Fishburne's advice there. We were thinking, yeah, this is heavy. And then, of course, at the end of Boys in the Hood, you got um, How to Survive in South Central. you got this bunch of rules. And we're thinking, yeah, this is heavy, which it isn't because rule number one is get yourself a gun. So, you know, but, but as young guys growing up without fathers, we wanted a dad to sit down with us and say, son, here's the wisdom. Here's the honey. Take this. And we thought we'd missed out, but we hadn't because it's in God's word. Father God has got the honey for us and we need to take it. And if we don't take it, we're missing out on what's best for us. And we're going to end up having what's worse for us. I can testify. Sorry if I told this story before, but uh, some of you know I went to boarding school. And when I got moved into a senior boarding house, I'm 14 years old, moved into a boarding house with 18-year-old boys. When you're 14, they seem like men, not boys. And I got sent a message beforehand saying, when you come into this boarding house, we're going to kick that out of you. And I was scared. And up to that point, I read my Bible every night. And some of you youths here have been reading your Bible every night, and maybe it's just stopped recently. Well, that's what happened with me, because when I packed my suitcase, I didn't take my Bible because I was scared. I was thinking, I already get a hard time for reading my Bible in the dormitory at night. If I take my Bible, I'm already going to get a beating. Maybe I can minimize the beating by not taking a Bible and being a Bible basher. And I didn't take my Bible. So what happened? Well, I wasn't getting the honey each night. And as I went through the struggles that I went through in this senior boarding house with these older boys, I didn't turn to the honey. I turned to other things instead that I thought were going to help me. And years later, I realized, oh, I'm so messed up now. I hadn't been taking the honey for years. I want to encourage you all today to be taking the honey because it's honey, it's good. Now, if we can see that God gives us honey, then it changes the way we read the Bible. So, for example, Proverbs 23, 26. So, Proverbs 23, verse 26. Father, God says... My son or my daughter, give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways. Now, if we know that Father God wants to give us honey, we read that in a certain way where we're like, oh, he wants to give me honey. He's telling me, give me your heart. Keep my eyes onto his ways. If I do that, I'm getting the honey. I'm getting what's best for me because Father God wants what's best for me. But if you don't get that it's honey, then you can just read that and think, ah, it's like, 
another rule. I don't want to follow that. And you view God as a strict headmaster. But he ain't like that. Father God wants what's best for us. So we've seen so far that Father God's prepared good things for us. And we've seen that Father God wants what's best for us. Now my next point is that Father God is happy when we do right. Father God is happy when we do right. Proverbs 23, verse 15 to 16. Proverbs 23, verse 15. He says, my son or my daughter, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. And he don't stop there. He says, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. This sounds kind of emotional. He says in verse 15, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. So when our heart is wise, we actually make Father God glad. You make him happy. And it's not like a little slight smile on his face. Verse 16, it says, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. So when we speak what is right, Father God rejoices. Now this is important to know that Father God is happy when we do right. Because you might not have got this impression from your earthly father. Some dads don't seem that bothered about how well their kids do at school. Some dads even encourage their sons to sin. When they hear about certain things, they go, yeah, that's right, my boy. But Father God ain't like that. Father God loves it when we do what is right. It makes him happy. He smiles when we do right. He's interested in how we live. Now, it's important to know, though, that that doesn't mean that when you do what is wrong, that Father God is angry at you and saying, fix up. Especially because of the doctrine of imputed righteousness. Jesus Christ has lived a perfect life. So Jesus Christ, his heart was wise. He's made Father God glad. Jesus Christ's lips spoke what is right. So Father God's inmost being rejoiced. And if you're in Christ, then all of that is credited to your account as if you'd spent your whole life doing what was right and speaking what was right, making Father God happy. And for everything you've done wrong, Jesus Christ took that on the cross if you're one of his people. And that means that Father God did pour his anger out about those sins for hours on the cross when there was darkness. But that's been done with. So there's no more anger for you if you're in Christ. Which means that fundamentally God is happy with everyone who is in Jesus Christ already. It's what we see in 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10. Now this is so important because this is like the basis of everything I say. So if you're the kind of person that kind of drifts in and out of sermons, this is the bit you have to get more than anything else. Because if you miss this bit, you hear everything else I'm saying and come out with a totally different theology which makes you think that you've got to keep on making God happy, otherwise he's going to be angry with you. So make sure you got this bit. 1 John 4.10, it says in the ESV, In this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sons. What did I say? Sons. Well, hopefully that too, but (laughs) propitiation for our sins. Sorry, it's this whole father-son thing on my mind. Glad to see everyone's paying attention. So, I read it out again. In this is love, not that we have loved God, so it's not all about how much we love God, but, but that he loved us. It's about God loving us and sent his son, that's Jesus, Father God, sent his son who had this perfect intra-Trinitarian loving relationship with, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, it's really important to get propitiation, okay? Propitiation, right, you might know it by other words such as atonement, right, which is a, a made-up word, made up a few hundred years ago. I'm going to use the word propitiation. It's a banging word. A propitiation, right, is a sacrifice that you make to a God. And when you make this sacrifice to a God, it stops the God being angry at you, and it makes the God happy at you. Okay, that's what it would be in ancient civilization, okay? The idea that you make a propitiation to a God to turn away that God's anger and to make that God happy at you. So it does two things. It turns away anger, and it makes God happy with you. That's what a propitiation is. So the idea is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took away the Father's anger for the sins of all of his people and caused the Father to be happy with all of his people. Now notice I'm saying his people... Because even though there's various discussions and debates about how propitiation exactly works, I hope that everyone in this room would agree that this propitiation is only effective for God's people. Because we're not saying that God is not angry with anyone, and we're not saying that God is happy with everyone. The final judgment shows us that's not the case. There is a lot of anger that, according to Romans 1, is being revealed now, And it's going to be revealed especially at the end. And we're going to have hell for all eternity for all people who God is angry with. But if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ to save you, then you're one of Jesus' people. And that means that when Jesus went on the cross, his propitiation is effective for you. Which means Father God ain't got any more anger left for you. It was all poured out on Jesus and Father God is happy with you. Because that's the two things that happen with propitiation. So that's the basis of everything I say. Which means if you're in Christ, you've got to know that Father God is not angry with you. And Father God is happy with you. That's the basis. But on top of that... What we can say with that basis in place is we can say, you know what? I want to live my life to please my father now. I know that when I live my life right, it makes God happy. It doesn't make me any more justified than Jesus has made me with his propitiation. But there is a gladness that I bring to my heavenly father's heart when I live right. And so I will follow God out of gratitude for what he's done for me. So, the Father God is happy when we do right. Which means that in our battle against sin, we got an extra motivation. In our battle against sin, when we're resisting temptation, one of our motivations can be 
this makes the father happy. Some of you resist sin because you don't want to get caught. Some of you resist sin because you don't want your youth worker to find out or you don't want your parents to find out. Some of you resist sin because you're just trying to be a better person because you've got so much guilt in your life. What I want to say today is there's an extra motivation, which is knowing that Jesus has already dealt with my sin at the cross, but now I just want to live my life to make God extra happy. And I know that even though I'm tempted right now, I'm not going to do that because it will make God happy. And I promise you that will help you more in your battle against sin. It's not the only way of overcoming temptation, but it's something you can use. God is happy when we do right. Now linked to this is my next point, which is that Father God wants to boast about us. Father God wants to boast about us. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Proverbs 27 verse 11. Proverbs 27 verse 11. Father God says, Be wise, my son. Be wise, my daughter. And bring joy to my heart. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. Notice that last bit. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. Father God wants us to be wise, not just because it brings joy to his heart, but also because he wants to answer anyone who treats him with contempt. Who do you think tries to do that? Satan. So check it out. Job 1. Remember we see this with the story of Job back in the Old Testament, probably around about the same sort of time as Abraham or maybe before then, we're not too sure. Job 1.1, it says, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. So here's a guy who's like being wise. Yeah, this is the kind of thing God likes. And then in verse 8, you've got Satan trying to have a conversation with God. And it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So what you've got here is God boasting to Satan about Job. God is actually boasting to Satan. So this is what we saw in Proverbs 27, 11. Be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. So when Satan goes to God, trying to treat God with contempt... God doesn't actually destroy Satan, which is what we'd think he'd do. He's going to take care of him one day. But what he does is he says, look at my son. Look at my daughter. This is what Father God wants to do. He wants to boast about us. Father God wants to boast about us. That's one of the reasons why God created the church. Check it out, Ephesians 3. This is talking about the church. His intent, as God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. One of the purposes of the church is to show off God's wisdom. And we're here today, right now, God is showing off his wisdom to all the forces out there. And maybe you never realized this before. 
Maybe you don't even remember anyone ever boasting about you. Maybe you felt you had to boast in yourself a lot because you feel like no one else is going to boast for you. In which case, you might want to write down sorry, Proverbs 27.11. You might want to write it down and memorize it and read it out yourself daily, saying, Be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. And realizing that Father God is happy when you're wise and he boasts about you when you do. Father God wants to boast about us. So let's sum this all up. We've seen today that Father God has good things prepared for us. Father God wants the best for us. Father God is happy when we do right. And Father God wants to boast about us. And this should change how we relate to God the Father. He's not a strict headmaster. And instead of referring to the Bible as a bunch of rules that we got to obey, instead of thinking, boy, there's a lot of stuff here to obey, instead we can start thinking, wow, this is honey. My heavenly Father's prepared good things for me. He wants what's best for me, so he's given me his word. And he knows that if I live out what the Bible teaches, then I'll be happy. We see that in Psalm 1. And not only will I be happy, but Father God will be happy too. And each time I obey Father God, he's smiling. His inmost being rejoices. And so now, I'm going to end up obeying God even more. I'm going to want to overcome sin more. Just like when you're a boy and doing sports. It might be that when your dad turns up at the sports ground, that you try extra hard because you want your dad to see you in action. Or maybe, like me, you didn't ever have that. And you always missed out and felt, ah, the other boys have their dads coming. Who's going to watch me? When now, if you're in Christ, you've got your heavenly Father watching you each day. He wants to see you do well. And when you do well, he smiles. He's happy. His inmost being rejoices. And he boasts about you. He says to people, you see that child? That's my child. You see him? That's my boy. You see her? That's my girl. And he's excited about it. And if you can get this in your heads, then following God is going to be less about following a rule book or following a strict headmaster. It's going to be more about having a wonderful father-child relationship. Having said all of this, It's really important to get the fundamental basis of why God's happy with us, which again is 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So if you're in Christ, God doesn't have any anger for you. God is already pleased with you because of what Christ has done. So what we want to do is enjoy the gift that God has given us. Enjoy Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way to this relationship with the Father. There's no other way. Please don't walk away from these things thinking, well, I'm just going to focus on the Father. Because Jesus said that there's no way to the Father except through him, through Jesus Christ. So the only way we come into this wonderful intra-Trinitarian relationship is through Jesus Christ. Turning from our sin 
turning to Jesus Christ, putting faith in Jesus Christ. And on that basis, we then enjoy being children of our Heavenly Father, knowing that as we follow him, we're receiving what's best for us, and we're making our Heavenly Father happy. Now, just some final applications in response to some of the emails you've kindly sent in. Men, you need to reflect God's Father heart in this church. Not just with your children, but for everyone in this church who doesn't have a dad or hasn't had a dad around for too long or hasn't felt loved by their dads. One of the ways that Father God shows his Father heart is by bringing other men into our lives who can reflect God's father heart. So men, you've got a massive job in this church to reflect that. And that's a big, big job. But God's grace is so massive. So go before the throne of grace and ask for that help that you need so that you can reflect God's father heart, not just with your children, but with other children in the church and with other adults in the church. And when you feel like you've failed in that, think about Jesus' sacrifice. Think about his propitiation. Confess your sin. Know that you are cleansed and forgiven. And then live your life to reflect the Father heart of God, knowing that that makes your Heavenly Father happy. Now, application for all of you who realize that you've been viewing God the wrong way and that you feel emotionally hurt by how your father was, I'd suggest you meditate on these verses we've been looking at the last few weeks. Meditate over them and pray over them in response to God. You will receive healing because we saw that last week, that Father God is close to the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. You will receive healing. But some of you come from a background where you thought the healing turned up by getting hands laid on your head and it would be dealt with, boom. But in the Bible, we see this process of sanctification that happens from the day of conversion until you die or Jesus comes back. God desires to work through a process in our lives, which is why I said a few weeks ago that This is not a magic thing. You won't come out of these sermons and be like, right, I've got it all sus now. What I'm encouraging you to do is to come away from these sermons and be meditating on these verses each day. And if you come to me in six months and say, I still don't get the Father heart of God, my first question that I'll try and ask in as loving a way as possible is, have you been meditating over those verses? Have you printed them up on your wall? Have you been reading them on a regular? Have you been reading them and then praying them back to God and saying, thank you, Father, that you're like this? Because that is one of the massive ways we're going to receive healing in our lives and we're going to get renewing of the mind. But there's another thing to do, not just meditating on these verses, but forgiving your earthly father. Forgiving your biological father or your guardian. Forgiving them. Forgiving is making a decision to let go of a debt that someone owes you. That's why one version of the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So when someone owes you 100 quid and you say, you know what, don't worry about it. I'm not ever going to bring up that 100 quid again. I'm not going to ask you for it again in six months. It's yours. That's what forgiveness is. So if you feel hurt by your dad, 
Forgive him. Don't keep holding him in debt. Don't say you've forgiven him, but then be like, but I want him to make up for it. Because that's not forgiveness. And the way we can forgive is by thinking about how much the Father has forgiven us. And if he's forgiven us for all the rebellion we've done against our Heavenly Father, then we should be able to forgive our fathers for anything they've done to us. Now, you might feel it's too hard to forgive, or you might feel you've you've forgiven your dad before, but it still hurts. I'd say that forgiveness is a decision, and it's often a daily decision that you keep on making. It's quite good practice to say the Lord's Prayer each day, if you can say it and mean it. And in that prayer, you're constantly saying, Father, I forgive the people who've sinned against me. And it's such a helpful thing to do because you find when someone's really hurt you and you're heartbroken because of something someone's done in your life, every day you need to keep forgiving that person. You say, I'm going to decide to forgive them. Father, I forgive them. The next day you pray, and you're like, Father, I forgive them. The next day you pray, Father, I forgive them. And you keep doing that. And you know what happens? One day you realize, I haven't asked God, well, I haven't told God that I forgive that person in a year. And you're like, you know what? I don't feel a grudge against that person anymore. You're like, praise God, I've forgiven them. But then a little bit later, something comes up and you find yourself getting angry about that person again. And then you say, Father, I forgive them. And the next day you decide again, Father, I forgive them. And you keep on doing it. And the same thing happens. Gradually you realize you haven't got any bitterness there. You have forgiven them. But again, you might need to revisit it later. It's a process we do until the day we die or Christ comes back. The other thing you can do, so you've got meditate on these verses, forgive your earthly fathers, and the other thing is be involved in the church family. Be involved in the church family. This is one of the ways God shows his father heart. So don't hide from the church family because then you won't receive the healing that you could receive. It says in the Psalms that he sets, his lonely, he sets the lonely in families. Problem is with our sinful human nature, we tend to run away from the church family and we hide from the church family, then we don't get the healing we need, and then we say, ah, oh, I didn't get the healing, that church was no good. But we were hiding from the healing that God was providing. So be involved in the church family, and as the men in the church try to reflect the Father heart of God more and more, then you will receive healing as, you, as that comes down to you. Our last specific application. For all of you who want to explain the Father heart of God to other people who thought, yeah, this is good stuff, but how do I explain this to my mates? I'd say meditate on these scriptures. Listen to the MP3s again if it's helpful. And spend time with your Heavenly Father. Take in the honey each day. Get to know him so well as your Heavenly Father that you can just naturally explain it to people. If people cut you, You just bleed out the father heart of God, telling them what a wonderful dad you have. And then other people will see it, and they see you're a child of the king. So remember that John 17 thing, where Jesus prays that they may be one, just as father you are in me, and I am in you, may they be in us. Then the world will see. Now a lot of time we only talk talk about that verse with regards to our unity, but it's also about how we relate to God the father. So the more you can know your heavenly father, the more evangelistic you will be in a sense that people see, rah, this guy or this girl really relates to God as their father. 
as a loving father. And from that, you'll be able to explain the father heart of God in a much better way. So, remember, if you're in Jesus Christ, then your heavenly father has good things prepared for you. He wants the best for you. He wants you to have the honey. He's happy when you do right. And he wants to boast about you. Let's pray to him now. Oh, Dad, I thank you so much for your goodness to us, to us terrible rebels. I thank you so much for forgiving us, for sending your son for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that means that Father God isn't angry with us, but he's happy with us. And Father, I thank you for your honey. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for breathing out that honey on pages so that we can take it each day. Thank you, Father, that when we follow you, it makes you happy, that you want to boast about us. I thank you for this wonderful relationship, and I pray that you would help us to enjoy this relationship more and more each day. And I pray for healing for people in this room, people who feel hurt by their dads. I pray you'd heal them. I pray for all of us men that you'd help us to reflect the Father heart of God better. We're sorry for how we do that so wrong so often. We ask for your forgiveness. I pray that you would make us better fathers. I pray that you'd use us to cause a lot of healing in the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.